like my, my backpacker clothes and to try and find like whatever could combine to look nice enough to be at, <laughs> at such a fancy event like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Hey there, welcome to Matamo, a podcast where we explore with you and our guests travel topics that push the boundaries and celebration of the human experience. I am your co-host, Bob Sproul, here in Chicago, alongside my co-host, Greg Traverso, out in Stockton. Great to see you again, Greg. As always, Bob, same here. And today we're bringing back a guest we had on the show, Chris McCaffrey. He's a writer from Stockton, and uh, Chris is also a former student of Mr. T, as he was known back then. And our last episode with Chris, we talked really about his writing. So Chris um, uh, Chris has a site, wonderlunge.com, that he writes a lot of short stories. Um, he's also recently published a, uh, a kind of email sort of memoir with a, a pen pal across the, the world, which is really cool, called Time to Be. And so if you want to go back to that episode, if you haven't listened, I would encourage maybe to take a listen and hear more about Chris and his writing and his background. Um, but today's episode, we brought Chris back because we wanted to really dig deep into his travel. So for the last 10 years, Chris has lived pretty much anywhere you can imagine, uh, done jobs of all types, worked at wineries across Australia, and uh, he's, in, he's in Mexico City right now actually teaching English. Um, so Chris, uh, it sounds like you've uh, you got the travel itch and sort of never stopped itching it. Um, and so we'd love to kind of spend this, uh, this episode really going through your travel story and, and kind of hearing some stories about what, what were some of the most interesting moments. And, and so we can kind of dig into that. Um, but maybe, uh, yeah, so it's great to have you back, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for having me back. I'm excited yeah. to be here again. So, <laughs> so in our last, uh, in our last episode, we ended reading a piece from one of your stories, uh, that short story called resolute, like the moon which has some really intense imagery in there. And, and Greg, you, you, Greg, and I were talking offline about the, the role that um, even Stockton, your hometown, sort of plays in that story. Because I think that, that uh, your travel seems to inform kind of you know, who you are and, and what you're doing and kind of how you're following your dreams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. For me, everything comes back to Stockton. It's, it's a really, really unique place. Um, so, the and I we were talking a little bit in the last episode about how when you travel it breaks down some of the preconceived notions you had about what was right and wrong, and so I think in traveling a lot of uh, a lot of what I thought I was uh, was broken down and then rebuilt. But there's undeniably an identity um, in being from Stockton, uh, and I don't think that is going anywhere. So I think the the more I travel the more that identity just solidifies within me. And to me, it's fun. Like you, you go all over the world. And in my opinion, the first question that's ever asked is where are you from? Uh, and so for me, it's, it's, I, I'm proud of the fact that I, I've been able to go a lot of places. And every time that question is asked, the answer isn't Bay Area or Sacramento. It's like, I'm from Stockton. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, Greg, you should know that I've been out traversing the world, preaching the gospel of Stockton all over. I'm with you, man. I, I've been the same way, you know, when people say, it's easy to say, you know, because people don't know where, I mean, they know California, right? And they picture one long beach. 
So you say San Francisco and they go, oh, San Francisco. Um, and those that maybe know more about it would recognize, you know, Sacramento, but I, I'm the same way. I'm Stockton and Central Valley. And I usually, you know, explain the Central Valley, you know, this amazing uh, valley that we live in that produces, you know, one third of the U.S. fruits and vegetables. And, you know, we're from the land here. We're real deal, you know, people. It's there's there's a difference. There's a big difference. And geography means so much, you know, versus living along the coast. It's it's wonderful, incredible, but we are from the earth here. And I kind of picked up and you gave me the hint. So, you know, in, in reading that story, just we're going to talk about travel a lot today, mm-hmm. but like just going back to that uh your your short story, you know, you mentioned the oak trees, you know, and if there's one thing that, you know, you know, I, I imagine, you know, one of the glorious things we have here are these amazing valley oaks that are, you know, unbelievably beautiful and mm-hmm. majestic. And so that story, you know, um, if, if you don't mind sharing a little bit how Stockton enters into that beyond anything that we've talked about. Yeah, and it's it's definitely indirect. Um, but from my experience, um, I do try and write pretty creative fiction, but it's always tethered to some kind of reality. Um, where I need that in order to to get a foundation to write. And so off uh, Highway 99 in Stockton, there's like a rodeo pen, which is probably not what it's called. But as you know, Stockton has so many layers, uh, but one of those layers is a bit of a cowboy culture. And I went there with my dad one time and we rode some horses. um, And so while I was writing that specific story, I was just imagining what that area would have looked like uh, without Highway 99, without Denny's across the street, uh, like in 1850 or whatever, like right right around the gold rush. Um, And so it's not a super direct connection to Stockton, but while I was imagining that scene and while I was writing with the oak trees and some of the other things, um, I I put myself in the middle of that horse training pen or whatever, uh, and then just imagined it 150 years ago. Uh, and and started to build the landscape and write from there. But an incredible amount of my stories start in Stockton. And then as I edit, uh, that just suddenly becomes less important. And when I want to make the story more universal, I take out details like that. But it's really interesting to me when I'm writing my rough drafts, it's the overwhelming majority of my stories somehow (laughs) start and are connected to Stockton. We talked a little bit also about how travel can be, uh, you were telling us off air, how you know it can be so difficult at the same time. You know, I know you went to Kenya and uh, we were in communication back then. And I remember a few stories that I remember hearing about, but one of them was on Lamu Island, uh, on, up by Somalia, but in Kenya, the oldest living town in, in Kenya. And you have a story you shared about, about travel that I thought was very insightful. Would you mind sharing that again? Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, so at the heart of it is the idea that uh, travel is very, very much romanticized, as it should be, because it's incredible. But the, the day-to-day and the minute-to-minute of traveling can oftentimes be very uncomfortable and very tiring. Um, and so there's this specific day that I remember where I was on Lamu, which is one of the coolest, uh, most interesting, most unique, most beautiful places in the world. It's, it's incredible. 
And I was there and I was at uh, room two in Lamu, which Greg has hooked me up with staying in this really cool hotel. Uh, and the way you described it was that it's at this point on the island where you have the trade winds uh, constantly crossing. And that is true. You go out on the, on the roof and this very salty uh, ocean air is just blowing everywhere. And it's, it's a really beautiful place. Uh, but I had this day there where I went out with uh, some local guys on a boat out in the ocean and we were doing some fishing uh, with the intention of bringing the fish back to the hotel where the guy that ran the hotel said he would do a nice barbecue with whatever we caught, which is, I mean, it was incredible. It was everything I would ever want uh, out of any kind of experience um, in a coastal place like that. And so I did it. And when I look back on that memory now, it's one of my favorite memories. It's this perfect diamond of a memory. Um, but when I actually allow myself to remember what happened that day, I remember it being incredibly hot in a boat with no shade. Uh, I remember getting seasick and puking over the boat um, and like in the moment being so incredibly uncomfortable to the point where the guy did barbecue the fish and I had been puking all day. So like, I don't even remember if it was really the, the best meal I've ever eaten. But my point being that all of that happened that day and three or four years later or whatever, uh, when I think about that day, it's like literally a glowing memory. It's this this incredible experience that I was really lucky to have. So any of the any of the negative things that happened that day have washed away. That's really the essence of travel. Is even the root of of travel goes back to the word work. You know, like to work at something. Like even in French travail, like I mean, it was not seen as something easy. It was a very laborious, dangerous you know, circumstantial situations that people found themselves in while traveling back through antiquity and, you know, till re relatively recent times. And even today, that kind of travel where you're in those situations, they seem to, those kind of moments tend to sh help shape us, but they also they make us stronger and give us more insight, but it can be difficult at the time. But when we look back, it, something about our nature looks back in, in the most positive ways as it really was, it was just hard to maybe see it at the time. And you know, you're yeah. in that moment. I forgot about the most important part of that story. So the, the actual meal when we brought the fish back uh, was prepared and I shared it with the two other people that were staying at the hotel. Um, and it was a Swedish couple found Lamu a million years ago and they go for a couple months every year. And the, there's the Swedish woman, her name was Barbro. Um, and she, that night, we were talking about travel and she asked me what my favorite part of travel was. And I gave the really cliche living in the moment, uh, experiencing new things as they come, whatever. And she just kind of sat back and was like, cool. And I asked her what her favorite part was. And she said that she loves to take it day by day as she's abroad. And then uh, she really likes to wait about six months and then brew a nice cup of tea and then reminisce about what she did uh, while she was abroad. And to me, I was like, oh, you're, you're blowing it. Like it's all about being in the moment, uh, et cetera. And then as happens often, uh, her wisdom ended up being right, uh, where without a doubt, some of the best parts of traveling are are reminiscing uh, when you're not tired, when you're not uncomfortable, uh, when you're just sitting in a couch and you have the opportunity to be really grateful that you got to do some of those things. So the uh, so the couple of things we wanted to talk about, um, Chris, is some of your recent travels. So I know we talked a little bit about um, 
time to be in our last episode, what you wrote, but I'm kind of curious, uh, what was travel like this last year and a half for you, Chris, with, with quarantine, with everything happening? How did that change your perception of travel? Did it make you hungry for more travel? Like what, I'm curious, you know, how you've been dealing with travel in the last year or so. I mean, I was trying, I quarantined, so I didn't really travel. Um, but I was, so I was down in a place called San Cristobal de las Casas, which is way down South in Mexico. Um, and when I knew I wasn't going to be able to go back to the winery, I got a job teaching in Mexico city and I wanted to, uh, I, like, I didn't really want to travel in the way that I was used to because of COVID and because of quarantining, but I really did need an adventure. So I bought a scooter uh, and my plan was to drive the scooter from San Cristobal to Mexico City, which is like a, be like 24 hours of driving or something like that. And the scooter made it like four hours and then broke down on the side of the road. And I sold it on the side of the road and hitchhiked to a bus station. So that was that was my last attempt to really travel a bit. And it didn't really work out. And then I got to Mexico City and kept quarantining. But yeah, I mean, I'm excited that hopefully in the next couple of months, people get vaccinated and the world allows for travel to start taking place again. But it was definitely a, a year plus of looking at maps and just hoping that I can get back out there and see some new places in the future. So you spent three years kind of bouncing back and forth between mm-hmm. the northern and southern hemispheres at wineries in the world. How would you go about finding a job and, you know, and how does that work? I mean, how did, how do you make that happen? Yeah. Uh, so there, there's a really, really, really good Facebook group called Traveling Winemakers. And I think the subtitle is Living the Dream or something like that. But it's a Facebook, really active Facebook group with like 40,000 followers or something or members. But that is a really good resource for finding positions. And then the work is cleaning. You're going to show up and you're just going to clean everything. I equate it to being a line cook. Uh, where like the winemaker would be like the chef and then the line cooks chop all the onions and put it in the stew or whatever. But that's what I was doing is the winemaker knew exactly what needed to happen to make the wine. And then they get these interns to show up and basically just do all the preparation and all the, the little tasks that need to be done to make sure the wine can be made in a good way. But yeah, that an industry that is really small. So getting your first job might be a little difficult. But the requirement is basically that you have the time and the work ethic. It's There's not a huge barrier to entry. And then I got one job and then my boss from that job helped me get one in the Southern Hemisphere. And then my boss from the Southern Hemisphere helped me get another job back in the Northern Hemisphere. But most people in that world have done the, the harvest hopping. And so most people have a little bit of a network with wineries all over the world. So if you can get yourself the first job and do a pretty good job, doors are going to start opening up because the world is so small. You must you must meet so many people too uh, along the way that you stay in touch with and maybe even see you know uh, traveling or at least you know at different wineries or different circumstances or I guess does it work that way? Do you have those kind of that overlap where it kind of you, you build almost this community within a community? A hundred percent. So I went to Australia and I worked a night shift with like the boss and then there were three of us on the crew. Um, and that boss ended up getting myself and one of the other guys on the crew interviews at a really good winery in Oregon that she had worked at previously. And so he and I both got jobs, went to go work at um, that winery in Oregon. She also 
uh, goes to Oregon for the Northern Hemisphere harvest every year. And so we had a little pod um, and I ended, so I ended up working with that guy for another harvest in Oregon, went down to Chile and then ended up going to the winery that uh, my boss from Australia works at in Oregon. And so I've done five harvests and three of them were were more or less connected to one little crew that I worked at in Australia. It's a, it's a, and, and logistics too, of like when you were working abroad, like making that, I guess the first question is out of college, were you working sort of like a typical sort of day job, Chris, or so? Uh, no, so yeah. right out of college, I, I didn't, I went and taught English yeah. in South Korea um, okay. and then did a little backpacking trip through China and Southeast Asia. And then I got back and, and did sales uh, for a company in Novato in the Bay Area. And then I did, uh, I got a job at a recruiting agency. And so I was working in an office in San Francisco and then Austin and then London. So there was a four-year stretch where I didn't travel. I was, I was just working. Uh, and then at the end of those four years, I had a little money saved up. And the only thing I wanted to do was to get back out uh, and travel. When you were in Kenya, uh, Talk about that a little bit. You stayed, you know, I had a local, our, our friends there, Dave and Rona, you were able to stay with them and, and go out. What was your time like in Kenya? Um, were you surprised by anything uh, about Africa, Kenya in particular? Um, anything that? Well, one of the most surprising things, I remember at the parks in, um, in Kenya, like the public parks, there were some of the biggest birds I've ever seen in my entire life. But it was so off-putting. Like they were dinosaur birds uh, just hanging out in the parks <laughs> for whatever reason <laughs> that really threw me off. But uh, I don't know, like when it comes to expectations, what I found is that if I'm going to Kenya, for example, I mean, I don't really know what Kenya is going to be like. So I try to show up with an open mind and then see, see what it's actually like. Uh, and I, usually only experience culture shock coming home where I come home and I do have expectations for what home should be like. And then I think because of traveling and because of maybe growing um, or yeah, going through some things or whatever, when I get back home, that's when I get hit with culture shock. That's interesting. Almost like reverse culture shock, you know, like yeah. coming back. I, I've, I've definitely felt the same. It's hard too, because you go out there and you, it's so rich with experience and stories and, you know, new insights and struggles, but it's so rich with all that, that, and you come home and it's wonderful. I mean, you, you know, we've talked about that coming home to Stockton, but I've, I know it's sometimes people, how was your trip? Oh, it was great. Okay. That's kind of it. You know, where. Mm -hmm. Rightfully so, too, because, you know, they're living their people are living their lives and it's hard to explain sometimes uh, what an experience was like without a long go of it, you know, and similar shared experiences. But I do know, like in Kenya, I remembered that you were you did some little more unusual stuff, too. Like, didn't you go to like a fashion show? I think Rona, that Rona took you to or. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, yeah, we I couldn't tell you where it was. But that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I love where. I would never have expected to end up at a fashion show in Nairobi. Yeah. Uh, and then Rona being Rona, we went to the fashion show and then spent the night with a lot of the models just hanging out and getting to know them. And that I never expected to do that. So that was cool. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that happen and you just can't plan for that. You just put yourself and have the confidence that, you know, things are going to work out and, 
And and it's funny because it. when you, when you're a backpacker, I mean, you have whatever your your two or three pants, your two or three shirts. Uh, so it was funny to me to have like my my backpacker clothes and to try and find like whatever could combine to look nice enough to be at, <laughs> at such a fancy event like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. And then from there, you went on to India and uh, did a rickshaw race was it chris can you just tell us a little bit about that yeah it's called the rickshaw run and they call it a rally um because the company that puts it on the adventurous uh they're really 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 fun and their whole idea um is to put on these uh events all across the world and the point is not to race so you get we got a little tuk-tuk um so for anyone listening a tuk-tuk or a rickshaw is that three-wheeled uh, motorized. It's basically like a golf cart, uh, but they're very, very common. In, yeah. Southeast Asia and, and India and some other parts of the world, I'm sure you sign up, you get one of those. And I think there were 80 teams and basically the company throws a big party in Northern India in a state called Rajasthan, which is in the desert. And then they pretty much say, we're going to have another party 2,500 kilometers South um, in Kochi in the state of Kerala. Good luck getting there. And that's it. There's no route. There's no support. There's it's it's you either make it or you don't. And yeah, that was really 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 fun. I'm feeling some rat race vibes here a little bit, Chris. You know, of course, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and they do some funny things too. Where like uh, like the team that finishes first gets absolutely roasted on social media because they they missed the point of the whole experience. Like they <laughs> actually went as fast as possible. Like turned their rickshaw in so um but yeah i was with i was with reed shout out to reed also from stockton uh and then a very close friend of mine from when i was living in austin carly but the three of us really love traveling um my roommates when i was living in london had done what's called the mongol rally which is you get a really crappy car and you drive from london to mongolia uh, and it's with the same company, The Adventurists. Uh, so they told me about the company. I looked it up. I found out about the rickshaw run. And then by some weird fluke, Carly also found out about it about the same time. And so we called each other, told each other about it, and then immediately booked it. And then we needed a third person. And Reed phased the best, so he came. Well, I tell you, you know what would be a lot of fun is to have Reed and Carly and yourself back and get to really like dive into what that was like and some of the stories and yeah. that would be a blast. So let, let's do that. I would love to do that. And they would love to do that too. It was, there are a lot of stories to tell from that two week trip. Did you guys I mean, make it or is that part of the cliffhanger? We're not going to know. Oh, they're, they're alive. <laughs> so we know that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. Awesome. Well, it's been a joy to have you Chris again here. And, and it sounds like at some point soon we'll get you and Reed and Carly on to talk about the rickshaw run and and that experience on the tuk tuk uh tuk tucks right yeah i've seen those they, we have those in chicago they're more like sort of like uh inconvenient way to travel downtown but it's fun you know you put your like legs up and the guy just brings you around town um cool well this is exciting um chris as we said last time we'll just remind people to wander lunge w-a-n-d-e-r-l-u-n-g-e.com He's also on Instagram and Twitter at Wander Lunging. And uh, yeah, be on the lookout for Chris's his, uh, his writings. And if you're if you're visiting a winery in Australia in 2023, you might see him there too. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll be a, he'll be cleaning stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I'll be in 2023. That's for sure. <laughs>
Well, it'll be fun to follow and see what stories you come up with. And uh, I know we just touched the surface, you know, there's so much here and, but it was really great to have you back and, and thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. That was really fun. And I can't wait to come back with Reed and Carly and tell some more fun stories. All right. We'll see you on the other side then. All right. Awesome. Thanks guys. Fly like you.